Welcome to the Air Medical Today podcast. My name is Edward Ero, and I am your host for episode 34 on November 3rd, 2020. This podcast is part of the Eero Podcast Network, podcasts that inform by focusing on both the news and the people behind the news. With each episode of Air Medical Today, we explore a specific area of the air medical industry and community through the use of interviews. You can find Air Medical Today on the web at airmedtoday.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The podcast is indexed on iTunes and now YouTube as well. For additional information about the guests on the podcast, I also provide background data on the Air Medical Today website. If you would like to become a sponsor and or leave feedback, please write to webmaster at airmedtoday.com or call 612-367-6052. Today, I am interviewing Mr. Michael Christensen, the Senior Executive Director of Sanford Air Transportation in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Before we get to the interview, I want to go over some feedback from the previous episodes and provide some general updates. The big news is that Air Medical Today is also a video podcast now. This is something I have wanted to do for some time, but now through some new tools such as Zoom and lots of testing and editing, it has become a reality. You can now either listen to the podcast as usual or watch it on the new Air Medical Today YouTube channel. The link to the channel is on the Air Medical Today website. If you have not listened to past podcasts, please take the time to do so. There is some really interesting information on how programs are reacting and adapting to the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as handling the stress that this has caused for frontline staff. You can also learn about other programs and how they are organized and operate. It is my pleasure to welcome Michael Christensen, the Senior Executive Director of Sanford Air Transportation. This includes Sanford AirMed, the Corporate Flight Department of Sanford Health, and the Maverick FBO Air Center. He has been in this position with various titles since 2008. From 1998 to 2008, Mike was the Chief Flight Instructor, Czech Airman, and Fixed Wing Pilot for Sanford Health, and from 1997 to 1998, he was an airline pilot with the Great Lakes Aviation United Express. Mike has a BS and MS degrees from the University of South Dakota in psychology and sociology for his undergraduate work and administrative studies for his master's. Okay, welcome to the uh, Air Medical Today podcast, Mike. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today, um, especially since it's election day uh, 2020, and it's also uh, the expanding number of COVID cases that we're seeing. And it's also uh, the 2020 virtual air medical transport conference that I've been uh, going to their sessions. And this works out just great as far as timing uh, to yeah. do this recording. So welcome. Absolutely. Appreciate the invitation. And uh, one of my favorite subjects is our program. So we're happy to do it. Yeah, I can imagine. So I, I first wanted to start, I always like to talk about, uh, you know, the people at a program too, and especially you, um, you know, it's, you don't see too many pilots in charge of uh, 
air medical program, especially on the not-for-profit side, maybe on the for-profit side a little bit more. But, um, you know, um, tell us about your aviation background. Is, you know, has this been a challenge for you? And uh, how did you have to learn about the clinical operations? Yeah, you know, interesting about air medical is, is you know, it's, it's taking two pretty highly regulated and uh, skill-specific uh, careers and combining them into one. We have the air part and then we have our medical piece. And, you know, when I started with Sanford, that was in 1998, so almost 22 years ago. And um, I came in as a fixed wing pilot, uh, ran line operations for 10 years of just really strictly flying with some other ancillary duties mixed in with uh, some check airman responsibilities and some flight inspector uh, responsibilities. And during that 10 years, um, back when we were kind of a smaller organization, I decided I would go back and get my master's degree. So I did that through the tuition reimbursement program. And because I always had an interest in more than just flying, I love flying. I think it's a great career. And I was fortunate that it was something I was interested in from a really young age. And um, Sanford offered those opportunities. So I went back to school, got a master's degree, knowing I always wanted to get you know, further in my career and um, just kind of waited for the opportunities and position myself for those when they showed up. Mm -hmm. So, so you had um, even, uh, so when you started with the program, you were a fixed wing pilot. Was that, um, so just on the a fixed wing side, you had, did not have rotor experience, correct? Right. Yeah, no rotor experience. Um, mm -hmm. At the time, in 98, there were, we had two King Air 200s and one helicopter. Yep. Yep. And we operated those solely out of Sioux Falls. And then before that, uh, I was reading your resume that uh, you were with uh, Great Lakes Aviation, which was United Express. Yeah. Um, how long were you with them? And then what attracted you to Sanford? Yeah, you know, it was, um, to rewind a little bit, you know, I started taking lessons when I was 16 years old, still in high school. Got my lesson shortly after turning 17. Um, knew that the airlines is what I wanted to do for a career at that age. Uh, Finished college, during college, got my instrument rating, upon graduation, did my commercial, my instructor certificates, and was teaching in Sioux Falls. And uh, a Great Lakes uh, pilot happened to stop into flight school, who I knew, and had mentioned that they were hiring. So, well, I had 700 hours and was always gunning for the next opportunity. So I yeah. went that day, I drove to Spencer, Iowa, which was the headquarters at the time, and hand-delivered a resume. And I remember dropping it off at the, the front desk and she thanked me for doing so. And I left, got all the way back to my car and thought that that was kind of a wasted trip. I didn't really accomplish much. So I went back in and asked if I could hand deliver it to the director of operations. Oh, good for you. He, she happened to say, yeah, he is free. So I delivered it. We had a nice conversation and um, he hired me on the spot and put me in a, in a class date and it was really a great experience at Great Lakes. Um, it's it's good uh, flying. It's it's a lot of legs, a lot of trips, and it's flying in the Midwest. And I did that for a year and a half. I upgraded to captain, and about four or five months after that, you know, as much as I enjoyed the flying, the lifestyle was tough. You're gone 20 to 22 days a month on the road, and um, I wasn't sure if that's where I saw the rest of my life going or not. Um, happened to bump into a Sioux Valley pilot at the time on a Great Lakes trip. And he had mentioned that they were potentially going to hire a couple guys, which was very rare. They, there's very little turnover back then. So I decided I would put my hat in the ring and, um, 
interviewed and was offered a position. And this is 1998. So this is when everything is getting ready to boom. You know, the airline industry is going to explode, lots of jobs, great career. So I uh, somewhat hesitantly decided to step out of the airline world and go into this air medical world. But now I can look back through hindsight and, you know, 9-11 happened, huge upset to the commercial aviation world. Uh, the recession of 0809, major upset for those layoffs, and now a pandemic. It's kind of the same story. Oh, yes. so yeah. I know I would have been caught up in those those three big events, potentially furloughed, you know, without jobs, looking for the next job. And being here at Sioux Valley, now Sanford, you know, we weathered all of those storms with never having a furlough or a layoff or a threat of losing a job, no going backwards and benefits. I mean, so it's really been such a stable, great place to have a, a great aviation career. Yeah. I, I just uh, before we leave uh, Great Lakes United Express, where were you flying? Where, where were I you mean, out of? I based in uh, Spencer, Iowa for a while and Chicago, uh-huh. so kind of the eastern part of their system through Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana. After upgrading to captain, of course, you're junior again. So then I was on the western side. So I was in Wyoming, doing kind of Wyoming, Colorado, um, to New Mexico. Oh, I didn't realize they went out that far. Yeah, yeah. So it was in uh, the thing about Great Lakes was a lot of people like my age group. We were 23, 24 years old, and you know, captain on these smaller twin turbo props, and uh, it was just a neat culture being with those, you know, kind of the same like-minded people. Yeah. And, and uh, so it was a good experience. I'm really glad I did it. And there are a few other, we call ourselves Lakers, that work here at Stanford <laughs> that have gone through that same regiment. So yeah. it, it is a good experience. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right about the, you know, I mean, the airline, you know, was really booming. In fact, they were taking pilots from the air medical side, offering all kinds of bonuses and now yeah. all kinds of layoffs and, uh, you know, the number of flights and stuff has gone down quite a bit. Um, it's about a 10 year cycle. Every 10 years, it seems like there's always a reset. Yeah. So, um, you know, also on your resume, you, um, you know, graduated uh, uh, from University of South Dakota with degrees in psychology and sociology. Um, and then I think went on to graduate school too uh, in administration. So, uh, I think you partially answered this question because you said you had a real interest in an aviation even when you were before yeah. college, right? Yeah. So is that, did, where did you go to flight school then? Yeah, I did all my flight training locally here in Sioux Falls. Uh-huh. And um, when I went to the University of South Dakota, my plan was to do two years and then transfer to Southern Illinois University where they had a dedicated aviation program. Oh. So I thought my general's done first and then I would go do that to kind of keep the cost down. But after finishing my sophomore year at USD, I decided I didn't want to transfer and start over. So I finished schooling while taking flying lessons at the same time in Sioux Falls. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. So this was during uh, school that you were doing that. Um, right. And also graduate school then too. We yep. actually were working, yeah. Yep. And then I did actually did the graduation, uh, graduate school here in Sioux Falls through the University of South Dakota. Um, using at the time Sioux Valley Hospital's tuition reimbursement program, so my master's degree cost me nothing. We were a pretty small organization back then, and you, there weren't that many people taking advantage of it. So yeah. I did it slowly, but um, took four years to get the master's degree completed. But definitely worth it. Yeah, well, thanks for explaining that because I looked at it, I said, um, you know, I 
Well, first, when I first got to know you, I didn't realize you were a pilot. Um, I always assume people have usually a clinical background. Um, but, you know, I've known that for years, but uh, I didn't know your degrees, undergrad, more psychology and sociology. I said, well, geez, how in the world did you get into aviation? <laughs> you know, so, so. <laughs> well, I think, I, you know, knowing that I always wanted to be in aviation, I knew that to get in the major airlines, you had to have that four-year degree. You know, uh, the messaging was there are two piles of resumes, those with a four-year degree and those without. Yep. If you want to be considered, you need to get it done. So at the time, I look back on this with probably some regret, but I was like, what's the quickest way I can get my four-year degree done? And I figured it was psychology, sociology. I probably should have done a bit of school, but when we were young, we don't always look that far ahead. Oh, those were, those were good degrees. I think uh, a good background. My uh, youngest son, I, I've been lecturing him on the same thing. Just get your four-year degree. And I, I love your analogy that, you know, the pile with the four-year and the pile with the two-year makes a big yeah. difference. And then if you want to continue to advance in your organization, the piles get smaller where, you know, a graduate yep. degree or just a four-year degree. So you have to kind of always keep improving your yourself and you do that through education and experience. So you went, um, uh, you know, from fixed wing, how did, how did you happen to become the, the, the director of the program or? <clears throat> yeah, it started. So, um, after just like an old, let's see here, 2004-ish, um, we had a turnover of program managers and we had a retired general from the Air Guard come over to uh, Intensive Air at the time. And I had applied for that position, but didn't get it, um, which, you know, looking at someone with his experience and background, I you can't feel too bad about that. But he was here for four years and knew that he was uh, getting close to retirement and um, through that time, finished my schooling, continued to take on additional responsibilities in the organization that I was wanting this position in, preparing myself and positioning for it. So then when he retired, um, applied for the program manager spot at the time, which was still our two airplanes, one helicopter, and uh, went through that process and was uh, you know, awarded the position. And then shortly then after is when the, the the expansion started. We had changed our name to Sanford because in 07 is when we got our donation from Denny Sanford. So that's when we our name change. And then in 08, when I started the position as a program manager, we were just on the cusp of growing our the, the, the footprint in the system. Yeah, because that came not too long after right. you started. Then. Like a couple months is when wow. they started talking about our our merger with Fargo. So yeah. it, was, it all happened pretty fast. Yeah. So how many, uh, so how many directors were there before you at the, at the program? I, I, I look back and to figure that question out there, I'm the fifth. Fifth one. Okay. Yep. So I haven't been too many since it began in 1977. Yep. And where does your position report within uh, Sanford Health then? Who do you report to? Yeah. So I'm considered an enterprise position since I have uh, system responsibilities. So I report up to the chief nursing officer currently. I've had a couple different ones throughout the years, and uh, which is really a good mix because um, she has a clinical background. And so that's a nice compliment to my aviation background. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's been very supportive and really a, a great person to report up through. Um, and then one of the advantages of doing it this way is that it gives you a pretty short distance to the table of decision makers when we need to get stuff 
stuff done. So it, it really is a good, a good balance for us. And is the CNO more operational? Yeah. Uh, uh, the operations of the... Yep. So enterprise responsibility, again, from the chief nursing standpoint, and um, which works well because uh, we have responsibilities in all the same footprint. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk, uh, we've touched a little bit, talk about some of the history of Sanford Air Med, how you've got that name, what the previous programs, um, you know, that were included in that, and then how it all uh, came together, of wh where you're at right now with the program. Well, you know, so 08 is when I started my, my position as a man program manager. And then in 09 is when Merit Care and Sanford Health merged into what was Sanford Merit Care. Um, we had two flight programs. Merit Care had a program under the banner of Life Flight. And mm -hmm. Sioux Falls had theirs under intensive air. We operated like that for about a year, year and a half. And I think that's just part of the getting to know each other stages on what this merger is really going to look like. And I was always a proponent of uh, one, one program, you know, putting it all together. And uh, the, the question was, how do we get there? And it kind of started with the fixed wing operation first. So they were using a vendor um, and we were, had our own part 135. So we went out and uh, purchased two King Air 200s that were both based in Fargo. And that started in the fall of 2011. Shortly thereafter, uh, we decided to replace our helicopter in Sioux Falls with an EC-145. And at that What had you had prior to that? We had a Bell 230. Oh, okay. And at that same time, we were, we were as Fargo and Sioux Falls were still coming together, the Midgey uh, joined the system as well. And Fargo always had a, a real goal of putting an aircraft in Bemidji. So when that became under the Sanford uh, system, we thought, well, now's a good time to do that. So actually within about two months, we purchased three brand new EC-145s. And those were put on the rotor wing certificate. And we you know, did the hiring of the pilots and the mechanics that basically all came from uh, the vendor, which was PHI at the time, and started to put all those operations together, still operating as life flight and then as intensive air at the time. It was really Bismarck that came into the system in 2013, which was kind of the trigger point of, okay, Bismarck wants to have an aircraft uh, for transport. Should we call it life flight or should we call it an intensive air? Which one is yeah. it going to be? So that was really the time where we'd been together long enough. We're like, I really think we should just rebrand um, and start over, you know, suits, uh, our, our, our logo. And obviously those things come with some pain at the time when you're talking about people are very loyal to their, to their names. Sure. I understand that, but we decided we will do a new paint scheme, new brand, new name. And that's where Sanford AirMed began, was really in 2013 with, with Bismarck coming on board. Wait, what's the process that you went through to get to that name, did you? Um, you know, we, we, we joined our leadership teams throughout the region. So we have base managers and directors. And we, we kind of went through, should we do Life Flight? Should we do Intensive Air? We looked at AirMed, of course. Um, we did all kinds of thesaurus searches on the words for medical terms. And when 
the marketing department came up with the, the, the way the logo looks, kind of what the show is, you know, the A swoops over, kind of showing motion and speed. We're like, really, really like the way that looks. And it really describes what we do. You know, you don't want yeah. people to wonder what is, what, what industry are you in? Um, so we all agreed that AirMed was the direction we were going to go. And what we did, we did it really from a best practice standpoint. So we took all the policies and procedures of, you know, Sanford Intensive Air and those of Sanford Merit Care Life Flight, and we divided them up. So we sat around a big table. We said, you're going to handle these policies. You're going to handle these policies. Merge them together using the best practices from both because excellent. we had a lot to learn from each other. Nobody did everything the right way, but together we really found our, our enterprise practice. Yep. And that's how we put them all together. And our CAMES accreditation was coming up. So we didn't want to do two separate CAMES accreditations. So that's when our first enterprise visit was in 2014. And that was a big undertaking, um, but a great project. We had help from the, the organizational accreditation folks to help us pull that all together. And it really got us all pulling in the same direction. And so that was when we, when we received that first full accreditation, that was really a big win for everybody. Yeah. That's a, uh... Uh, the um, interesting. I remember, you know, when you did uh, rebrand, and it is uh, it is a process, especially in a merger. Too, people have loyalties to both programs. Okay. Did um, was the the Merit Care Life Flight program was that in existence before Sanford, or was it about the same time? They first began in the, the mid eighties. Okay, so they were after then. A little bit after, and yeah. Sioux Falls program was in 77 with a fixed wing. Okay. Did they start out as rotor or fixed? Do you know? I, you know, that I, I'm not 100% sure on um, which direction that went. I think they started rotor and then added in the fixed wing later. Yeah. And then Bismarck, there was a, a program there that was offering services, right? Yeah. Bismarck Care Medical, still, still in Bismarck, and they were yeah. had a partnership with uh, MedCenter One at the time. And then, um, we kind of still used that partnership. They were still there to help to assist and so forth. But then we had that one helicopter. And then soon after that, added a fixed wing out in Dickinson. Yes. And that was what, 2019? Uh, that was 2014. Yeah. 2014. Okay. Yeah, after our first James visit is when. Oh, that was, yeah. yeah. So that, that followed a lot of, what is the Sanford footprint then? Is it uh, so, you know, right, it's the largest rural nonprofit health system in the country. So it's like really? 250,000 square miles. It, it stretches into the little parts of Nebraska, northwest Iowa, south uh, west Minnesota, south Dakota, North Dakota. Um, not much in the Wyoming area or our Montana at this point, but it's really kind of that upper Midwest footprint. Um, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a large system. And uh, that's why we kind of scattered our bases out with Sioux Falls, Bemidji, Fargo, Bismarck, and Dickens. Yeah, to serve the, the system. Very interesting. Um, um, how is your medical direction done? Is there one medical director? Do you have multiple medical directors? We do have multiples. Um, uh -huh. We have a medical director in Bismarck, in Fargo, and in Sioux Falls. And that actually works really well. Um, the specialties, you know, we have uh, the Bismarck and Sioux Falls medical directors are ED physicians. 
And then our Fargo medical director is a surgeon. And we have quarterly uh, medical director meetings where we set our goals, uh, review protocols, look at what the future is. And what we really found, you know, when we first put this together is we had different protocols, we used some different drugs. We started to look for the low hanging fruit of how can we create some enterprise protocols where we do the care the same. And so we started with um, sepsis and we were all, you know, 95% the same. So with some tweaking, we made it, okay, that's the protocol that we're all gonna use at all locations. And we've been slowly ratcheting down that list, doing that, that same process. And even with medical equipment, you know, now we all use the same equipment and we use the same mounts and our training is all the same. We use Ninth Brain, I'm sure like a lot of programs do, that's kind of our hub for all of our education and quality and those types of things. So we've really been marching down that road of, of finding the best practices to do our patient care. So whether you call Sioux Falls, but we're busy and, and Bismarck should show up, you won't ever know the difference. Um, we're gonna look the same, we care for patients the same, we have the same goal, same mission. So it's been fun to watch that mature over the years and we've really seen it flourish. So what, uh, what was the hardest thing to, to come to agreement on? Was there some uh, you know, blocks along the way that uh, yeah, oh, yeah. were a little bit more I, difficult I, than I, others? I we've always heard it takes seven years to kind of <laughs> change a culture and grow together. That's probably a pretty accurate number. Yeah. Um, what really makes it all work though is, is the leadership. You know, we have base managers at each base location and uh, they're usually a background of an RN or a paramedic and uh, we have a clinical director who's enterprise responsibility that has a paramedic background. And honestly, we all care about the same things and we all want the same thing. It was just a matter of how do we bring that all together so that we all feel like we're, we feel heard and that we're all included in this process. And <laughs> the name was probably one of the biggest ones to get over and not for me, cause I was, it didn't, I was really more excited about the new name than I was concerned about giving up an old name. Yeah. And, but through the, through the years now, that's, that's our identity, um, is Sanford Airmed, and I think everybody feels that way. Um, some of it's through attrition, and some of it's just through people that have been here long enough to know that, yeah, this is who we are now, and we're better. Um, but yeah, those, there were definitely some roadblocks, but having just done our third Kings accreditation as an enterprise, you can just see the progress and the growth. It just shows in our survey, and it's, it's really a true way to quantify the work that we've done is through that outside source coming in to look at you. Yeah, that's a good way. Yeah. yeah, mergers are not easy. I've been through uh, a, a few of them myself and I think you're right, it takes some time. Uh, I think you're lucky in the sense that they're all under Sanford. I mean, the organizations yeah. have merged. Um, I did uh, one in Kalamazoo, Michigan and the they merged the flight programs but not the hospital so you still had um, that in the background but and that took maybe a little bit longer but the the flight programs did come together and Kames was one of the unifying things you're absolutely right on that it does i think that outside perspective helps. yeah so um uh, you talked a little bit about your administrative staff. Talk about uh, so the positions that you have. You said you have base managers and a yeah. clinical manager overall. Right. So like 
as an example, every Monday morning, we have a weekly check-in with our Air Med leadership team. And you know, at that call every Monday morning, we have our director of operations for the fixed wing, director of operations for the rotor wing, our safety officer, communication center uh, supervisor, enterprise clinical director. We have a base manager in Sioux Falls, one in Bemidji, one in Fargo, and the Bismarck covers both Bismarck Dickinson. And that's that our leadership team is made up of that core group and also directors of maintenance. And that's just kind of where we check in every Monday morning to make sure nothing over the weekend that we need to be aware of. What does the week coming look like? And I think that that open line of communication and um, that consistency uh, really makes the team communicate well together. And that's just our one check-in together. Then there's, you know, tons of meetings and phone calls going on in between each other throughout the weeks. Does your basement managers, do they fly too, or is it a full-time job? Um, it is a full-time job. Some of them do, do fly. Uh, mm-hmm. I personally still fly as well doing air ambulance. And I do think it's a nice, it's a nice mix. Um, I've always been a believer that the things that we think of in meetings and ideas and policies and procedures that we think sound great sitting around the table doesn't always transfer to the aircraft. That's and good point. So I've always enjoyed to go out and fly and watch some of these things. And I can look at some and be like, that works really well. And some that that just doesn't really work, does it? We really need to rethink that. Yeah. So I, I like being able to, to do that. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize that you were, so you still fly fixed wing flights every once yep. in a while. Yep. Wow. Uh, that's great. Quite a bit. Quite a bit. We fill, I don't, I'm not a scheduled pilot, but I do fill in sick calls, vacations, or if we're yeah. Um, I try to get to all the bases to fly because you really find that it's fun and they like to, you think that they maybe wouldn't want to see us show up, but they do like to see you show up and see what they do. They're proud of it. And uh, it's, it's been enjoyable. Yeah, I, uh, you know, my background's more administrative, so I don't, uh, can't fly an airplane or do clinical work, but um, I've always, uh, my favorite thing was to fly along with the crew. I'd call it management by flying around, you know, rather yeah, than right. the, the business term of walking around. But uh, you do, you really see, I always said, you really see the crews doing what they do. I mean, if you just go visit at the base, it's a lot different than watching them actually do it in a transport. Oh, right? so, sure. um, I'm always so impressed with the work everybody can do and yes, their yeah. skill sets and how they manage challenging patients in a in a pretty small environment with noise and yeah. snow it's cold and all those other things that we deal with and just how they work together as a team um it, but yeah i would never give that up yeah it's a it's amazing I, i'd always like you know you get the call I'd, I'd like spend time at each base and then go fly but they would have the information they have and what was going through their process and their communication you know the clinical yeah. staff with okay, here's what we're preparing for. And that's not always what ended up to be. And then watching them adjust to that. So, and adapt. Yeah, they do pretty amazing work. So do you have other staff at at headquarters or are there? Yeah, we we have an assistant, of course, that helps out with the day-to-day and billing and so forth like that. But Mm -hmm. um, really it's, it's made up of, uh, you know, our, our clinical side of the house and our ABH side of the house. And um, we are very intertwined in our day-to-day operations so that 
we aren't forgetting something or something is being left out. Like I think one of the biggest things we have to do that really spotlights that uh, relationship is any new piece of medical equipment. Um, seems like we get a piece of medical equipment and it's either outdated or not supported or we're switching to something else. And it seems easy to think, oh, I'm gonna change this pump for that pump. Well, if, you're, if you bring aviation into that too late, well, there's certain mounts and there's yes, EDI right. testing and there's all kinds of things that STCs, have to happen yeah, right. every piece of equipment. So we had some hard lessons in replacing equipment and we finally have a solid process for how we communicate to do that so that it's done right up front and we're not playing catch up. But um, we really do. I mean, the, the maintenance department working with the clinical staff is really, really improved and um, it's all been, all been good things. So do you uh, do your own billing and reimbursement or is that done through the hospital? Kind of both. Uh, we do post our own charges. Um, mm -hmm. Actually a skill I picked up recently when our Sioux Falls um, assistant was on vacation. We had no one to back her up. So I said, okay, teach me how to do the billing. <laughs> but I feel like this is something I should know how to do because it's going to really give me perspective on, on billing. So I learned how to do that. So we actually post all the charges and put all those things in Epic and then the hospital takes it from there when it comes to accounts receivables and those types of things. But um, yeah, we do, it's in air medical building is not too challenging. Um, there aren't, there's only a handful of codes to worry yeah. about. And it's yeah. pretty, pretty straightforward stuff, but. Do you get involved do, with follow-up though, if bills are rejected and. No, that's where the hospital works hospital. on that part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's kind of nice. So is that posted to your, on, are you pretty much managing expenses or do you see the revenue part of things? Both, yeah, revenue hits, revenue and expenses hit our budgets. Okay. Um, we do manage both and project the revenue side and you know control our expenses and that type of thing. So yeah, we do it all. Okay. So not counting you know, inpatient revenue from a patient that gets transported in um, are are your operations uh, budget neutral? Are you adding to the bottom line, or, or are they? Yeah. Or do you think they're subsidized? Yeah, we you know we we all three. <laughs> it depends on. <laughs> but I would say that uh, as we've uh, grown, and if you look at you know all the new aircraft we bought, well, we had mountains of depreciation expense for. Yes. Yeah. But we've had them all long enough. They've all depreciated out. So now we see that we do contribute to uh, the bottom line and, and not only uh, cover our own expenses, but then add revenue to the system. And yeah. but that's been it was a long road coming to get there because it's a it's an expensive operation <clears throat> between you know the payroll side, it takes highly skilled people and quite a few of them to keep everything going 24 7, 365. You have your maintenance side keeping the aircraft in service fuel, you know, and all those types of, of things, certifications, training, education. But yeah, we are now uh, have kind of turned the corner and contributing, which is, it feels good for us. I think people take a lot of pride in that. We're not just bringing patients in, but we are a profit center as well. Yeah. Does you, um, I, th I think my experience when I've been with, you know, hospital-based programs is people don't really understand, you know, how how the program works. They're used to, you know, the inpatient or even outpatient right. services and how revenue is, is done. Is that, have you had to do some explaining in meetings or do you get involved with that? Like, yeah, I think the get involved with that a lot. You know, 
Um, we're a very conservative organization, so we watch budgets very closely, I'm sure, like most. Yep. So we have, we have to explain how these things work. Um, but once, but they're all very smart people. Our finance people are very, you know, very intelligent at what they do. And they're also very helpful for what we do when it comes to budgets and how we should budget. But yeah, there is always some explaining going on. But the one thing that's never, ever happened is, I've been questioned is uh, what we need to spend on maintenance, keep the aircraft, uh, maintain the highest level, um, the training we do for clinical and, and aviation staff. I mean, those things are uh, go without question. And because of that, we treat it very responsibly as well. Um, we, we're very good at how we do our parts shopping and the programs that we operate under for power by the hour and those types of things. So, yep. yeah, we treat it like a fire on. Yeah, that's, that's good. So you have some independence. I think sometimes if you're completely hospital based, it's really, there's a lot of misunderstanding about, well, you know, I saw your staff down in the lunchroom and they took longer than the necessary <laughs> break, you know, and it's as well, they just came back from, you know, two hour flight. Right. And, no, yeah, we, thank goodness we don't operate under that kind of microscope. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you had mentioned your basis. So how many, um, talk about the rotor and fixed wing bases again, where they're at and what aircraft are located where again? So we have uh, four King Air 200s for ambulance work. Two are based in Sioux Falls. One is in Dickinson and one in Fargo. Mm -hmm. Four helicopters, uh, all EC-145s now. One in Sioux Falls, one in Bismarck, one in Fargo, and one in Bemidji. And um, all the pilots, all the maintenance personnel are all employees of Sanford Health. And we uh, staff our fixed wing with two captain qualified pilots. And um, at Rotor Wing, are staffed with one IFR qualified pilot. And we are IFR approved and do IFR operations in the rotor. And um, each base then, of course, we fly with uh, nurse paramedic on standard trips, but we also have specialty teams with maternal, neonatal, and pediatric. And do the, do the staff, uh, are there pilots that fly both helicopter and fixed wing, or is it pretty much uh, one or the other? people that are qualified to, but uh -huh. we only let them do, they only do one. Okay. Yeah. Kind of pick. We've got a couple that have a lot of a kinger experience and rotor experience, but they pick, I'm going to do rotor. Got you. And, and how about your clinical staff? Do they um, move from fixed wing and Early rotor? in the operation, they would move around from base to base. Um, we, this still happens um, uh, sometimes like between Park and Bemidji because they're pretty close together. So there will be some crossover. There's some the schedule holes that need to be filled, um, but not a lot of that anymore. Okay. The pilots will do the same thing. Um, go to Dickinson and help cover some shifts. Uh, that happens both rotor and fixed wing. Yep. And then, so you own all the aircraft now. Yep. Sanford owns all the aircraft. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, coincidentally, we're also working on the next 10 year projection. Yeah. Uh, they don't last forever. And yeah, 10 years is usually the, the time yeah, frame. And it's, it's such a capital intensive uh, department. Uh, you know, you can build an entire clinic sometimes for the cost of purchasing uh, a new helicopter. Right. <laughs> so right. it's getting everybody to kind of start thinking about that ahead of time and, and looking down the, into the future and being like, 
what should we be doing to prepare ourselves to replace this first aircraft when it is time? And what is the right time to replace that aircraft? And how do you quantify that? What's the metric? So um, we're having those conversations. We bought these helicopters in 2011. So we're about nine years and they're heavily maintained every day, gone through with maintenance. I mean, they, they're great aircraft. Um, we do fly a lot of hours, so we're kind of thinking, and what is that right number? And working with Airbus on some of those questions, and same thing with our King Airs. You know, there's great aircraft, and they're they're hardy, and they can take a lot of abuse. But there is a time when we should probably part with it and replace it with something that's less maintenance intensive. We're about being in service and being available. Um, if we have aircraft that are out of service for unscheduled maintenance a lot, well, that's not really supporting the mission. What do, you, what do you look at a time frame on a King Air? I mean, well, we it's have longer one, than 10 years, isn't it right? Oh, yeah. We have one we bought new in 1995. Yeah. And um, it's to the point now where we are working on the replacement, you know, as we speak. And so 25 years, 26 years, yeah. uh, you can you could pretty easily do that with the King Air. Yeah. And uh, like I say, they, they're like that good old farm truck that you jump in it, hit the key it, it just it runs and it, it runs well and it's really good for our mission and helicopters you're looking at 10 years is that what <clears throat> yeah i bet will be 10 to 12 i think you know you get around that 10,000 hour mark that's a good time to to be working on the replacement and most of that is not because the aircraft becomes unsafe it just becomes more time intensive um all aircraft you know deal with you know fatigue and cracking and the cracks aren't you know like something is coming apart but it just requires a lot of downtime a lot of maintenance right. so you have to look back and think is this the best aircraft for our mission anymore or is it time to move on to the next one so it's it's a it's a delicate balance to find that right time and you've been with airbus now for quite a while is that yeah, still yeah. Um, 2011 and i can tell you the 145 has been a great aircraft for us um mm -hmm. It's a good IFR platform. We love the clamshell doors for loading and unloading. Um, it's it's a really good aircraft for for our mission. And you know we we looked at all of them. We did we traveled looking at you know Leonardo and we looked at Sikorsky and Bell and all great airframes. We just had to figure out what works best for our size of team. You know on the specialty teams we bring three people a lot with respiratory care or nurse practitioners, isolettes and all that. So we really felt like the cabin size and the capabilities were right up our alley. Yeah, that's been, you know, throughout the history of air medical in the U.S., that's been the ship, the B, BK-117 yeah, and right. uh, the right. uh, EC-145 have uh, been there. Um, the, uh, were, were the, you had air operators previously before the one, 130 uh your part 135 correct i mean yeah yeah so when the when this all very first started like the local fbo did the fixed wing aviation program yeah. um and then sanford decided there was value at the time to take that in-house because they wanted to have operational control on the safety and how we did things and our training and when the rotoring program entered the scene that was like 84 and that was the rocky mountain helicopters and they, they were actually the vendor all the way up through 1998 when they, we put them on our own certificate and went with our own pilots, own crews, own maintenance. Yeah. So 
but there was there's a pretty long time that we were at the vendor relationship which is which was just fine um there's nothing wrong with with doing it that way i think that it just be the size and scale was let's bring this in-house get the right people in place to do this and um have ultimate operational control over how we want to do business yeah so you did that early on compared to a lot of programs yeah. that were yeah, i think it was a cycle right because everybody kind of did it on their own then they flipped did it the other way with the vendor relationship and then now you see more people flipping back yeah um just as real program is now you know going back to your 135 which it's a major undertaking yeah it so is, once, you get there, once you get there you know you uh just kind of have your your own operational control culture. yeah i i've uh kalamazoo was uh for me was a 135 program yeah and um uh, they have actually not recently flipped to a vendor. I, th I think it was about a year ago or so, uh, which was interesting. Um, but a smaller program, and of course, uh, Lifelink just recently going yeah. to uh, right. uh, their own part 135, and I think other programs have been looking at that too. What, what was Merit Care? Was that uh, was, so? Was that was rendered by Fargo Jet Center did the fixed wing operation and PHI helicopter was doing the rotor. Oh, it was PHI. Okay. Yep. Good I, thought it, I thought it was Air Methods at one point. No? Yeah, I don't believe Air Methods was. Okay. They were PHI a long time. And, um, good companies. We just like it. We just had to pick a direction. Yep. Brought them on with 35. Um, does. Um, Sanford, do you have ground ambulances or is there an ambulance division within Sanford Health? There is. Um, so FM Ambulance is under the Sanford umbrella. That's Fargo-Moorhead. So that's an I-11 service. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then there are ambulances uh, that are under the Sanford uh, umbrella in like, Laverne, Minnesota, Canton, South Dakota, Wheaton, kind of town sprinkled throughout Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota. But then, you know, for Air Med, we do have our own ground trucks to go back and forth from the hospital to the airport. And that's really the only mission of those trucks so that we can uh, have them there when we want them and not have to rely on them. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. So you don't, um, if you're down for weather, you don't. Um... No, we have relationships with the, with the local services. Okay. For us, we will call and they'll come pick us up and take us. And in Fargo, of course, we're calling. Fargo Moorhead, Sanford Ambulance to do those trips, but yep. use MedStar and Sioux Falls. Um, so what is, uh, on the clinical side, what, what is your, uh, well, let's talk about pilots too, but what's your staffing model for the rotor and fixed wing? You, you've got, uh, is it a nurse medic? Yep, model? nurse medic oh, yeah. uh, on all, you know, all those trips, fixed and rotor. We do have respiratory care available um, out of the bases, not all the bases, but uh, most of them where they're supporting a medical center. And then uh, for maternal, we'll bring maternal RN. And of course for neonatal, it's very specific. So we bring, you know, neonatal RNs, CMPs, respiratory care, and the isolate and so forth for those types of specialized care trips. Do you have both of your crew on those or you just take one of your crew? Just one. Yeah. 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 But it's nice having the full um array of specialty teams to offer that service so we 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 really uh, like having those they're great and they're they're busy yeah and so and, and then pilots you said it was um one single pilot 
single pilot rotor wing, and we do uh, actually the fixed wing is two pilot, and this is one of those things that started long before my time. But everybody's is a captain, so we don't really fly captain first officer. It's always captain captain. Now, on the schedule, your your duties are delineated by if you're listed as captain for the day, and then there's a co-captain, so you have different duties. Yeah, yeah. But everybody's ATP rated captain qualified and it's just a matter of how we switch names on the schedules um and we've been asked about that before like you know are you thought about single pilot or you thought about you know having first officers and we thought about all of those things um but it's this works it works very well and um we don't see a need to change it this time yep but the pilot shortage was getting very real uh before the pandemic and like i say it's always that reset now it kind of floods the market with more qualified pilots. You probably have, uh, you don't have any issue right now, do you? With, Not right now, but we had yeah. positions open for well over a year yeah. uh, trying to find the right fit. And that's kind of where our best management pilots fill in all those schedule gaps. And uh, we've decided that it's definitely worth waiting for the right candidate to fill those seats than just trying to bring up and fill one. Um, so we did take our time and now we're, we're fully staffed and uh, great, great crews. So you clinical, you have a uh, clinical manager that manages all the, the, the clinical operation, mm -hmm. correct? Yep. yep. And then on your aviation, same way, but do you have it split between uh, fixed wing and rotor? Yep. yep. So we, have a, we actually have two part 135 certificates. So one oh, do. is strictly the fixed wing and one is strictly the rotor wing. So we have a separate director of ops on each directors of maintenance and they're responsible for their certificate and, and, and those responsibilities that come along with that. And that happened about 06, 07. And um, as we've gotten bigger, that's turned out to be, I believe the right decision for us just based on if you had any type of issue with either mode of transport, oh. it might cause you to pause or put a certificate on hold the other one would still be able to operate. And as we've gotten bigger to add more aircraft, um, it just gives us more room to grow, you know, there's operational control center considerations and those types of things, but uh, it's given us flexibility. Yeah, interesting, yeah, because I, I, I didn't, one, I didn't know that, but two, uh, you know, you have to have similar positions, so it's probably- Yeah, there is that little bit, bit more, of bit more costly to do that. And the directors of operations are our line pilots as well. So they do fly. And I think that part's pretty important too. So we're not just maybe say overwhelmed with administrative. They, they have different roles. Yeah, it seems like some of the, even some of the big operators do that differently. I know Air Methods tried to do everything under one part 135 certificate. And um, some of the other ones would have multiple ones. So there's probably... Yeah. It's worked. There's such specific types of aircraft and they're very different. Um, we found that having the, the right people with the right expertise for the right type of aircraft has, has worked well. And uh, so far it served us well. Yeah. So what, what innovations have you seen in clinical operations over the years? I mean, what types of things have yeah. you added? Always a lot of change with interiors, um, isolates. Uh, we, we do carry whole blood. That was a new change we recently made. We've carried blood for years, but now we just made the switch to whole. Um, Kcentra is a new drug that we started to carry that we actually did some education on for other areas. And uh, 
it's really been interesting to watch our medical directors work together to keep elevating the type of clinical interventions we can do and the care that we can give. And um, so it's been pretty progressive. And when we uh, did our last interior, we used LifePort. That's the interior that we use. And Hill Arrow is our modification center that does the work for us out of Lincoln, Nebraska. And when we bought an aircraft in 08, we bought a new King Air at that time. That was brand new. And when we did the interior, we wanted to find new ways to mount equipment that was as safe as it could be, you know, approved, pull tested, G-loaded tested. Because a lot of times we put a lot of equipment on a brig, which isn't certified for a certain amount of weight. So that's where we worked with Hill Aero to create this overhead serviplex with a mounting system in it so that all the mounts uh, passed all of the G-loading and pull testing required by the FAA and everything was had paper on it, if you will, that's kind of the language they use where it's certified and approved. So we've done a lot of work with Hill Arrow, which now you see in a lot of other aircraft, since they were kind of the engineers behind it, we were just the ideas. Um, one, not tied to clinical, but loading ramps. So they were heavy and you're bent over in a small aircraft, they're like 33 pounds and they're kind of cumbersome. So we uh, provided Hill Arrow with some seed money to say, make us a lighter loading ramp. And uh, through their engineering, they knocked 33% off the weight of the ramp, which wow. turned out to be a lot. It's carbon fiber now. They went as far as drilling out, you know, the, the, the nuts and bolts so that they sell the strength, but not the weight and really pretty cool. And now you see they, they sell them to, to everybody. But um, our director of maintenance is pretty progressive on finding new and better ways that are safe, cut weight, um, make it easier on everybody's backs loading and unloading patients. And so I feel like we've been pretty progressive in kind of how we do business. And I think that Hill Arrow has taken a lot of those things and now it's, you see it everywhere. Yeah, kind of, that's great. That's, it's neat to be involved in that way. It, it um, really is. Yeah. And I mean, they have the engineering and on their end, we're really just the people that are in the weeds. Like, here's what we would love to see. Could you do this? And then they make it happen. Yeah. So um, let's uh, switch gears a little bit. Um, you know, COVID-19 has been a big impact here in 2020 for all of us and certain, uh, certainly affected our program. Seems like the number of cases just keeps going up. Yeah. I know the Dakotas are getting hit hard, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Um, how, how has it affected uh, your operations there, Mike? And, you know, how many? You know, I think our effect is probably similar to almost everybody else out there doing this is we didn't really know what to expect or how to handle this and I think the language and the guidance changed almost daily um, from PPE initially yeah yeah I mean it was just kind of like everyone's I think getting scratching their head every day like what are we supposed to do when we have a patient do we glove do we not glove do we mask do I have to wear an N95 or just a surgical or is a surgical with an N95 or an N95 with a surgical over it gowns but once we finally got a process in place uh to protect our patients and our team members um we found that when this all started it was really slow for a while nothing was going on when this first happened it was probably the slowest months i've ever seen as far as transport goes <clears throat> so we we're just kind of wondering well how long is that gonna last yeah and um now we've seen kind of the inverse of that where it's gotten extremely busy again and I can look at how we have transported in the hundreds of COVID patients now, 
and the way the teams do their PPE and, and protect the patient, it's, it's really almost quite incredible the little bit of exposure that has happened to team members that are doing it. And they do, they do incredible work uh, protecting themselves and, and the patients. And um, it's been an impact, but I think like everything, we, we learn how to, to handle it and communicate. And then we, we press on. Yeah. I mean, a whole new light on what universal precautions, how we handled that in the past. Um, So have you seen, are you seeing an increase in the number of COVID patients that you're transporting now from outlying areas? We have seen an increase in in, in those numbers and um, the hospitals of course have seen, have seen more COVID patients on the side. And um, like you say, yeah, you wonder where, the, the the valley starts again or where the peak starts but um, I think we take each one as it comes and everybody does what they need to do each time that call comes in and I, I, I anticipate it will continue like this for a while I don't see a, a major slowdown coming doesn't look like it I mean it's uh, no. the numbers just uh, keep going up and then you just saw what England, France, Germany are all sort of locking back down again. Um, And it's sad that it's gotten so politicized in this country, um, which it shouldn't be, you know, it's a, it's really a public health thing. So um, you're, uh, you have a couple different things that most other flight programs uh, don't. um, And I wanted to, let our listeners know about that. I know this about you, but I, I wanted you to talk about it a little bit, but you have a uh, corporate flight department uh, that you're in charge of. Um, uh, have these operations always been under the director or did that change happen later? Yeah, that was um, all started with our department and I've always been um, in charge of that area. And it started with the one King Air and the reason we went with the King Air 200 is we had four others, so we know how to manage and take care of King Airs very efficiently. As the system grew with Fargo, Bemidji, Bismarck, and into the western side of North Dakota, it's a long way. It's an eight-hour drive to Dickinson from, from Sioux Falls. And so how do we effectively um, have people with enterprise responsibilities get to all these locations in a meaningful way? without spending three days on the road for a two hour meeting we try to do in person. So it made sense to put that first King Air in service and that's been operating. We still have it. I think it was back in 2014, we did that. Um, then it turned into some more of a benefactor types of that setup where we were donated um, a citation by a, a gentleman in town. So that airplane came to us with a hangar and all the stuff that came with it. So we're like, okay, well, we have this airplane. Let's get pilots trained to fly it. So we did that. And then it turned into another jet that was donated by our benefactor, Sanford. And same thing. Let's let's see what our utilization looks like and what we need to be doing. And as Sanford has grown, they've also been out into other things outside of healthcare. So we have a sports complex. You know, we have the Sanford International, which is a Champions Tour PGA event. So a lot of those events and all that growth and, and great shots, which is similar to uh, Top Golf, is is a Sanford brand now. 
um, require a lot of travel, a lot of meetings, a lot of looking at things. So that's kind of how the jet started to intertwine into the works. And because we already had an aviation maintenance department and we have pilots, it was really just making the aircraft operational. So it was not a, an expensive adventure to get into. It would just seem like the next logical step to move people so that they can do their jobs. And it's really a quality of life issue for a lot of positions where in order to maintain this level of responsibility, I have to be able to get around. So yeah, we can harder, yeah. Yeah, pay for it, or we can pay ourselves and do it internally. Yeah. And we recently added a fourth airplane, another King Air 200 in Fargo, which has been heavily used uh, for precision outreach. So we do a lot of that out of Sioux Falls and in the Fargo area. So right now we have four corporate planes, two King Airs, a Citation, and a Falcon. Wow. But we only have uh, nine pilots. So we don't staff them all full time. Like I, I fly on the corporate side as well. And for me, it works great. If I need to get to do a base visit, I can take a pilot's seat and go to Bismarck if I need to. Um, so it's worked out really well. We use them very efficiently. Um, we fill the seats. So there are a lot of people that need to get around. So if there's a trip going to Fargo tomorrow, there's only two people scheduled. We open it up and six seats available to go to Fargo tomorrow if anybody wants to go. And uh, people, oh yeah, yeah, I need to get up there. That's been great. And uh, so it really works well. When Fargo and Sioux Falls first merged, we had two buses every day that went back and forth, um, kind of working on the relationships and getting people together. And those eventually went away and we drive a lot still. There's still a ton of driving that goes on, but um, yeah, they've, it's really made operations uh, more efficient. It's, it's, it's interesting. I think most uh, programs don't have that uh, type no. of uh, responsibility. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I didn't realize you had four aircraft um that's uh so, yeah, but, but if you look at the area you're serving you know it's a little hard to fly commercial you know to almost impossible i've yeah. tried like I, I go to dickens to help cover shifts and i've looked at the airline flights and it's an entire day so like well i guess i'll just take an entire day to drive up an entire day to drive back and um yeah. but when there are other people that need to get around for for meetings board meetings those types of things or we've had emergencies pop up we got to get here right now. Well, it's a phone call. We're off the ground as quick as they can get to the airport. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's been a real tool. And um, it's, I think it's really made us more mobile. Can you switch out the aircraft uh, from a corporate to a... Um, no, they're uh, all corporate. Yeah, so that you don't use them. What about for uh, transplant teams? Uh, they're not on our part 135, so we can't do any for higher operations with them right now. Oh, oh, that's right. So it's all money. We have, we have yeah. looked into that option, but um, in our conversation with the transplant teams, they were pretty well serviced in this Okay. Um, so the other, uh, I think, innovative thing that you're doing that I haven't seen anywhere else is that uh, you acquired a, uh, an FBO um, yeah. in Sioux Falls. Tell us about that and how has that benefited your operations? Yeah, so as we grew the corporate department with the ambulance department, we had one small hangar where we were trying to live out of which we were bursting at the seams. So we built a new facility on the other side of the airport next to Maverick Air Center, um, which was the second FBO at Sioux Falls. Um, and the, uh, the investment group that had purchased it was interested in moving on and approached us about buying it. Uh, after doing our due diligence and thinking about our aviation operations, the amount of fuel we buy and 
um, the idea of being able to control our fuel pricing to a certain extent. And kind of on top of that was, you know, FBO has also serviced the community. And if you want a, a, a good business community, you have to have a good aviation airport, good general aviation. So we did purchase the FBO and it's been kind of interesting. When I was in college, right, or graduate, I worked the line department at the FBO in Sioux Falls back then, and I was yeah. fueling and tugging airplanes. It's a great way to learn about all those things. And the guy who had hired me, Bruce Goodwin, was the uh, vice president at Maverick. So it was kind of like a little bit of coming home. Some of the guys that I worked the line with way back in college were still working the line now and super experienced, great people. So it was almost a coming home for me. And we've really grown Maverick when we bought it. They had one hangar, 100,000 square feet, or 10,000 square feet. Um, it was full, and they needed help with growth. So we built a 30,000 square foot hangar to acquire more tenants. We doubled the size of our fuel farm, uh, grew our fuel truck inventory. Uh, we serviced uh, all the airlines but one in Sioux Falls. And then we, I was just talking about the sports complex. All the sports teams that charter in, you know, they come in through mm-hmm. Mavericks. So we handle all those charters. One example is the PGA. Now with COVID, they they the airline charter from tournament to tournament to keep everybody in a bubble. Well, they we do that through Maverick. And there's a big basketball tournament coming to Sioux Falls in November. Um, so all those airline charters are going to come through Maverick. So it's kind of like it kind of is that one little piece in the Sanford kind of puzzle that ties everything together. And of course, for our own fuel pricing for AirMed and for corporate, yeah. I mean, we are buying our fuel at wholesale and and saving cost on the backside of the operation. Yes, right. I remember so, you telling me yeah. about that before and I'm sure prices are even less now, right. aren't they? You know, when you look at our department, it's pay, <clears throat> payroll, maintenance, and fuel. You're probably your top three biggest expenses. And uh, we really now have created a, a different way of handling our fuel. And yeah. uh, I really enjoy the, the Maverick side of the business bringing companies in, the, the quick turns that come through, uh, just meeting the different people. And it, it's a busy place. And it's really a fun, it's really a, a fun part of the operation. That's got to be a, a revenue positive. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's been a great thing. And that part of our system mentality is growing revenue outside of healthcare that can support healthcare. And, and part of that is the sports complex. It's Sanford Profile, which is the diet program. You know, it's a full complement of food, you know, coaching and all the equipment and tech that goes with it. And we have Sanford Frontiers, which is the, the for-profit umbrella that has Maverick in it. Um, so, yeah, they, it, I think our system has a very interesting approach to the future and how to make healthcare successful and, 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 and vibrant. So do you have a director? What kind of staff do they have? At yeah, Maverick? so we have a, a base manager who manages the day-to-day and we have our business development and then we have our line staff. And um, it's it's really one of the fun things about the operation. It really is. I mean, I, I can still get out park airplanes if they get really busy and short-staffed. I can, it's right next door so I can run over yeah. and help. Yeah. And I've grabbed a hose and fueled an airplane if I needed to. And I love interacting with the customers and um, that's been really a fun project for us. Yeah. Maybe someday we'll grow it. We'll add Mavericks other places. Who knows? Yeah, that's, that's fabulous. Um, so uh, just a few more questions. I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what associations that uh, 
Sanford belongs to, uh, you're uh, a member of the Association of Critical Care Transport or ACT. And uh, I know you're on the board because I served with you. You're uh, currently serve as treasurer. Um, how long has Sanford been a member of ACT and yeah. what attracted you to the Just ACT? about 10 years now. And I think what attracted me to it back then was just kind of, I think we're really in a lot of that, the patient billing side of the world was really becoming very public. And our organization was really in line with, with ACT and kind of the grassroots patient-centered organization and kind of getting back to that. And when I saw the opportunity for the board, um, I think I'm in my ninth year now, I, I'll term out after this year, but uh, took a shot at it. And as you know, we served together for many, many years and um, it's been really enjoyable being part of ACT. And I, I believe in our mission and the programs that are part of the organization are like-minded, I believe. Yep. Um, so yeah, after I finish this year, I'll definitely need to find somebody else from our program that can hopefully uh, go for the board and, and get a seat on it. Yeah, I didn't realize it had been that long for you. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Kind of That's fantastic, yeah. yeah. And you've, you've been treasurer for quite a while too, right? I have, I've kind of called that my own. I think I'm in year three of doing the treasury. <laughs> yeah. So maybe part of it is uh, just trying to hide behind the treasury spot, but I, yeah. I like that spot. Um, it's really a good board. And we've seen the people that come and go and all great people. And, um, you know, it's a tough mission trying to, trying to move the needle. And yep. uh, the people are pretty dedicated to it. Yeah, there's a lot of dedicated people. I especially like the uh, standards and yeah, yeah. Too, that, uh, that ACT published. Yeah. So have, have, uh, has Sanford been a member of uh, the Association of Air Medical Services or AIMS? Yeah, we were a member of AIMS for a long, long time. And for a while we were both. And... Mm -hmm. At some point, you know, we all know about efficiency and in dollars, so we had to make a decision of which way we were going to go. And being a member of the board on ACT, we decided to discontinue the AIMS piece and go with ACT. But mm -hmm. we still participate in, um, you know, AMTC, uh, go to those things. And I think it's important that they've got their own complement of great things that they do. There's many of us that are CMTEs. Yep. And I think we have six or seven of us at AirMed that are CMTE. Oh, excellent. And, excellent. uh, I thought that was a great school and we've sent several people through it. I just recredited last year, I think. Three oh, years. So, yeah. yeah. But so they, they've all got their, their, their good things. Yeah. So do you see um, Ames and Act getting together in the future or working together more closely? I hope so. I have to believe that there's common ground that out there where we can both find compromise. I think that that will be the most effective way to create change um, from a federal perspective, if, if we can't, then I feel like it's a lot of more of the same. Yeah. And so I would like to see us being able to do that. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I, when I was at Lifelink, we were a member of both and it seems like you're spending money fighting each other when mm -hmm. so much of the stuff is, uh, common and, and Ames has changed quite a bit as you yeah. know, I'm on the yeah. Ames, Ames board now. Yeah. Um, or back on, I think it's the third time I've been on the board. Um, are, are you a member of the Air Medical Operators Association or AMOA? Yeah, yeah we do We do AMOA and yep. uh, like our director of operations on the rotor wing and our safety officer are more heavily involved in that side of it and kind of give us the updates yep. on what's going on. And yeah, you know, they, we are part of AMOA. Yeah, that was, uh, I think a lot of the it's what you have to have a part 135, right? Yep. To be a part of that. 
What do you think the big benefit? Is there a lot of shared information or? Definitely the shared information. I think we all have the same issues. Um, I think by sharing what we're of a roadblock, someone else maybe already experienced it and found a solution. So we like to take that information in and make informed decisions anytime we can. And, uh, you know, we also will share information as well. We're in the beginning stages of becoming an FAA approved SMS and <clough> have a relatively new FOQA program, you know, flight operations, quality assurance. Right. Uh, the avionics and the King Airs was we put G1000s in all of them now and got rid of the old packages so that we can record all the data, which has really kind of changed the game a little bit in, in the aviation world. And uh, the 145s have that same uh, technology as well. So we, you know, because really quality seemed like it was really more centered on clinical, which it's heavily clinical. I mean, just you look at the, all the stuff that we track, but it's like, what do you do with aviation? And so we've really taken a look at the most dangerous part of any trip is really the approach and landing phase. So we started just looking at what we do. And then we saw the numbers and we said, well, we need that we can do better than that. So we've changed a lot of the way that we fly. And uh, that's been kind of a big project. And I think we're really seeing the fruit from that now. Yeah. Excellent. Well, um, the big news, uh, you know, that I, we had arranged to do this, uh, podcast but then i yeah. read that uh intermountain yeah healthcare and sanford going to merge in 2021 i'm going oh my gosh I um, and uh what i read uh is that the company would be headquartered in salt lake city and uh dr mark harrison who i don't know but is the who is the president of uh and ceo of intermountain would be the president uh, of the combined company <clears throat> and i know it's probably too early for you to answer really any questions on what's going on, but uh, has there been any talk with Intermountain Life Flight? Uh, uh, no, yeah, not yet, but interestingly yeah. enough, um, the, like the week of, this is last week when the announcements were coming out, and um, Intermountain Life Flight was doing a transport from Rhode Island to Provo, and they picked Maverick for their quick turn spot. <laughs> So, which was great. We, we saw yeah. him and I went over and chatted with the pilots and uh, great, great guys. And they had a great staff on board, moving a patient to back to Utah. And we were just chatting about our cultures. And I, I think, honestly, I really think it's a good um, strategy for our system. I think long-term, how, how do you create, you know, healthcare access and how do you create the right health plan? And and the supply chain and, and research. And I think it's by getting with like-minded organizations. So. Yeah, um, that was, I, I was a real surprise because I know you had gone through, was it a year or two ago that you were looking yeah, at merging in uh, yeah. Iowa, right? Was that... Yep, yep. And then that one just didn't come together. Yeah. And um, from the little bit, I've been able to uh, read about Intermountain and interact and uh, looking at LifeLight. I mean, they have a, a really a top-notch flight program as well so yep. another opportunity you know and i know that our footprints aren't really very close together but i think it's an opportunity to see you know how do you do this and oh that's a great idea and just kind of once again looking at best practice opportunities and um i know i think it'll be interesting I, we don't know much yet i think we're at the letter of intent stage and yeah. Uh, yeah. moving to it through the due diligence but i think it's always exciting and every merger that we've been involved in has always turned out for the best and I expect nothing less from the mountain. Yeah. I was just surprised that this seems geographically further away, yeah. but uh, is there some overlap on 
where their um, systems are? You know, Intermountain is in Idaho and Nevada, Utah, some Colorado. So probably not a lot, but I think there's a pretty good amount of space in between the two. Yeah. And who, who knows what the future holds, but um, I think looking at the long term in our organization and our, I think it, it really feels like it makes sense to me. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it should be exciting to see what happens. Yeah. So uh, anything else that you'd like to say about uh, Sanford oh, no, or transportation? No, I appreciate the offer to come and talk about it. And um, you and I know each other a long time and working from competing programs, the same footprint. I know that we've always worked well together. And, yes. Um, and I've always enjoyed the conversation. And, yeah, uh, I've... Uh, so yeah, I've, I've always uh, liked working with you, Mike. I mean, I think it's... Uh, I've always been a big believer in uh, work, working collaboratively. I mean, you can yeah. be competitors, but uh, you can also, uh, we're there for patients, you know, right. and that's the, the, the primary thing and to right. help each other out at times. That's uh, important. But yeah. I, I always love doing these uh, podcasts because I learn more about people and uh, didn't realize that you were flying or going out and, uh, filling up aircraft and stuff. So that that's fantastic. I mean, it's, I love your your passion uh, for for what you do. That's that it comes through very clearly, Mike. And that's pretty exciting always, to work. Yeah. And, uh, I think one thing about Sanford is I always tell employees when we're either interviewing them or they're here already is if you don't like change, this is a terrible place for you. <laughs> yeah. It's the only constant we have, and it's the, I think it's just what we you have to embrace it and uh absolutely it's a fun yeah. place to be um we're very dynamic and changing and growing and we get lots of neat opportunities and uh so it's been fun i really i love it and can't imagine being anywhere else yeah well it comes through very clearly so well it. thanks again for being on the podcast mike i really pre appreciate you taking the time from your schedule i know you probably have a lot to do and uh take care and be safe with this pandemic thanks Edward. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Air Medical Today podcast. Please come back again and also subscribe to future shows by visiting the website at airmedtoday.com, iTunes, or on the Air Medical Today YouTube channel. Air Medical Today is also on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and you can find the links on the website. Remember, if you would like to be a sponsor or provide feedback, please write to webmaster at airmedtoday.com or call 612-367-6052. Special thanks to Stanley Reeves of Room Tunes for providing his song Track 5 for use as the theme song for the podcast. You can follow Stan on Facebook at facebook.com slash stanley.reeves.39. Take care and fly safe.